Why don't we go ahead and open up to Judges chapter 16. Judges chapter 16 is the very last chapter of one of the last judges. That's if you don't include Samuel. Uh, the prophet Samuel could be considered a judge. The first prophet and certainly, or maybe not the first prophet, but the, um, certainly the last judge perhaps. But, but Samson, we see here, he's the, the last um, judge in a period of seven years in the life of the children of Israel as they have come out of Egypt. And, well, I got some competition tonight, don't I? I'll speak, I'll speak closer to the microphone, and I promise I won't yell. I won't scream. But he's the last of, this, uh, of, these, uh, of the judges of this seven, seven period. So we're in the seventh period now. And we, as we look at Samson's life, we see uh, a man who had great potential. We see a man whom God had given great gifts to. And we also see a man who was governed not by so much the consecration of, of God, but he was led more by his passions and his desires. And whenever a person is led by their passions and their desires more so than God himself, that person is headed in the wrong direction and ultimately will end in not so good of a place. And Samson was one of those individuals. He was, he was a man who was guided by his eyes, and, and, and gentlemen tonight, and for those watching, men, I would encourage you to learn the life, learn from the lessons from the life of, of Samson. Because if we go through, as we have gone through these chapters where we speak of him and his ministry, if we don't learn from him, we have missed a very valuable lesson. And I believe this lesson of Samson could be preached continually. Every single week we could be on Samson's life and it would be good for us, men and women, because we know that um, women can be led by their eyes as well. They can be led by, led by their emotions. So they're, they are not exempt from these lessons either. But guys, especially for you, because men are, unfortunately, we are, most of us are governed by what we see. We're, we're, we're very visual graphic based. <laughs> we see things. Women, some women are that way, some women are not. Not all men are that way, but to an extent, Samson was one of those individuals, and so we have much to learn from him. It's been said of him that Samson was a man of faith, but he certainly wasn't a faithful man. And why wasn't he a faithful man? Because he went against the things that God had forewarned him about. Samson went against those things that he knew were wrong. He went against the law of God. Purposefully, willingly went against what God had spoken in his word. And yet, look at the grace of God. How even in Samson's life, God could use this man. Even with all of his uh, issues even with all of his faults. And we all have them, don't we? We can never look at Samson and say, I'm, I, I could never be like that. Because maybe you would say that, but you'd be tripping over something else that you haven't really considered in your own life. And so we have to remember that we got to be careful about these kinds of things because we all have those things in our lives, Achilles heels. And blessed are you if you know what those things are right now because many of you have been battling with them for years, perhaps decades 
and never give up because guess what? As long as you have air going through those lungs of yours, you are going to struggle with sin. In fact, I, I would be willing to say that the longer you walk with Jesus, the more your relationship with him deepens, rather than feeling more holy, you're going to actually feel more decrepit. You're going to feel more unworthy as you get closer to him because it's going to be, that's just the way it is. You could talk to anyone like Chuck Smith. You could talk to uh, Billy Graham. You could talk to our own pastor, Jeff Breed. And you can ask them, do you feel more holy now than you did when you first started? And they would all say, and I've heard them say it. I've talked to Bill Gallatin personally. All these men are like, the older I get, the closer I get. I don't necessarily feel more holy. I feel more unworthy. But I know my worth is not in myself. I know my worth is in him. And that is the secret. It's a simple act of faith. It's a simple belief that, God, what you said is true. And I adhere to that. I surrender to that. Because I know within me, in and of my flesh, there lies no good thing. But I know with you, all things are possible. And in fact, because of your spirit dwelling within me, I have now the ability to resist sin. And I have the ability to turn to you, and I have the power to do it. Before, we were powerless. Did anybody have any great power before you came to Christ? If you were like me, I was, I was like a, a, a leaf that had been dropped in a very raging river, and that leaf was just going to and fro, getting stuck behind a rock, getting splashed, flying over, and then going down another channel, and going off into some ebb, and then coming back and being brought into the fray again, and just all over the map. Emotions everywhere, feelings everywhere, just like splattered all over the place. Have you ever felt like your heart and your mind and your emotions were like splattered all over the place? You ever see those pictures of modern art where they'll take those really large fans, those industrial fans, and they'll put a big canvas on a wall? like that size, and they'll take these big fans, and they'll just drip paint right behind the fan, and the, pa- the fan will draw that paint in and splatter it all over the wall. I hate to be so graphic because I'm a, I'm a man, right? So here, here it is. But, but our emotions can be like that if we're not careful, and such was Samson. And yet, for all of that, God in his grace, what does he say to us by the Spirit of God in Hebrews chapter 11, that great hall of faith that we call it. What does it say? And it says, what more shall I say? This is Hebrews 11 verse 32. What more shall I say for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets. Can you imagine being in the same sentence as some of those men? What a joy that would be. And there is Samson in spite of all of that. And so I want to encourage you tonight, men and ladies, that if you are struggling with an area, if you're struggling with your passions, if you're struggling with your emotions, if you're struggling struggling with your will, you're in good company. Because most of us in this room probably are or have been or will struggle. Because again, We are flesh, but guess what? If the Spirit of God is in you, you have the ability to resist that. And I would encourage you not to cave in. We live in a culture that caves in on everything. Have you noticed that? Caving, caving, caving. As as I look at the news, I see institutions uh, just caving in left and right. They have no backbone whatsoever. Shame on them all. But you, brother and sister, you have the ability to stand in Christ, in Christ alone, and what a wonderful joy it is to be his child. Amen? Everyone smile.
especially those of you smile because it is such a blessing to be his child. Let's now read the very last chapter here. Uh, Let's just read the first 22 verses. We're just going to read through it and then we're going to go and pick it apart, okay? It says, now Samson, he went to Gaza and right there the the key changes to minor. (laughs) The key changes to minor. (laughs) Now Samson went to Gaza and he saw a harlot there and he went into her. And when the Gazites were told Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and they lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. And they were quiet all night saying, in the morning when it is daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight and he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gate posts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Afterward, it happened, and here's another, the the key gets even darker. The key changes now to A-flat minor. Afterward, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came to her and said to her, entice him and find out where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. And every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. And Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. And so the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with them. Now men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room. And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire, and so the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Look, you have mocked me, and you've told me lies. Now please tell me what you may be bound with. And so he said to her, If they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And men were lying in wait, staying in the room, but he broke them off his arms like a thread. Delilah said to Samson, and bear with me, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me with what you may be bound with. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom. And so she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he woke from his sleep. He pulled out the batten and the web from the loom, and then she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You've mocked me these three times, and he have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily. Let me say that again just because it feels good. She pestered him daily with her words. Repeat after me. She pestered him daily. One more time. She pestered him daily with her words, and pressed him, pressed him like a grape, so that his soul was vexed to death. Emphasis mine. That he told her all his heart, and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I will become weak like any other man. And when Delilah saw that she had told, that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up and brought her the money in their hand, and then she lulled him to sleep on her knees. 
Lullaby, Betty bye, go to sleep now, my dear Samson. She lulled him to sleep on her knees, called for a man and had, shave, and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. And then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And so he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took him and they put out his eyes and they brought him down to Gaza and they bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow after it had been shaven. Let's go back to verse 1 here. This is an interesting thing. Um, it says, now Samson went to Gaza, and he saw a harlot there. And Gaza, if you remember, was one of the five great cities of the Philistines. Gaza and Ashkelon, Ekron, Ashdod, and Gath were five major cities of the Philistines. They each had a lord that presented or presided over them. And so now he goes to Gaza. And what is it that he sees? He says he saw a harlot. And this is the second time at least we see this word because we know that in Judges 14, the first time in Samson's career we hear this word where he went down to Timnah, which was another city of, of, of the Philistines, Philistines, and he saw a woman there. And the idea behind this word saw is he just didn't look at her. He studied her. He looked at her. You know the difference. There's a difference between looking at somebody, acknowledging that they're there, man, and then there's another look that we can give. And ladies, you can do the same thing. It's a little bit longer of a gaze. And even after the person has gone away, you're replaying, replaying it in your mind. You're thinking. That's what it was with Samson. He studied her. He gazed at her. He looked longly upon her. It's an unfortunate thing. It means to inspect he seemed to have this thing for Philistine women. It's an amazing thing. Not only was Samson engaging in fornication, but he was also having relations with women whom, from nations whom God had pronounced judgment upon. So we see that not only is he a fornicator, but he's also going against the revealed will of God. And what is the revealed will of God? Well, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, what does it say? You should not commit adultery. That includes fornication, by the way. So that is one thing. And also in Exodus chapter 34, what did Moses tell the children of Israel before they would cross the Jordan and go into the promised land, into a people that they had to conquer, into a people that they had to dispossess? What did, what did God tell Moses to tell the children of Israel? He says, take heed to yourself. This is Exodus 34 verse 12. Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, you shall break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images, for you shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods, and make sacrifice to their gods, and one of them invites you, and you eat of this sacrifice... And you take of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods, and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. And so he's saying, when you go into the land, don't make, have any covenant with them. Don't marry them. Don't get in the midst of them. You are to destroy them. And why is it? Is it because God is prejudiced? Is God a racist? 
And I bring that up because of the environment we're in now. No, this had nothing to do with race at all. Was a Philistine human being, was that any different than any other person? No. That person, that Philistine, was able to receive Christ. And does God love that Philistine? You better believe he does. But the difference is sin. He gave the Philistines, he gave the Canaanites, those seven nations that Israel would go in and dispossess, he gave them at least, he gave them hundreds of years to repent. You can read Genesis 15, and the promise is there. He gave them years, hundreds of years as a country, as a culture, as a people to repent, and they would not. They continued in their abominations. They continued in sacrificing their children to their false gods. They continued in adultery and fornication. And there comes a time when your number is up and God has to judge. Why? Is it because he's a racist? No, he's a God of justice. He's a God of love. A God of love gave them something. Gave them several hundreds of years. That was, that was kind of ironic, wasn't it? God of justice. Zap! All right, let's go home. <laughs> no, God gave them several hundred years to turn. But they would not. That is a God of grace. Never forget the grace of God when you read these things, okay? So often we can just gloss over them and we think that God is this angry God who just wants to punish people. No, he gives hundreds of years. And for individuals, he gives us decades to turn from our sin. He's a good God. He always has been. I love him for that. But the question I have for Samson is, why did he go down to Gaza again? This is the second time that we hear of him second recorded time that he's um, fraternizing with these Philistine girls. What was wrong with the girls of Dan, of the tribe that he was from, or the other children of Israel? It's interesting that the scripture records only his encounters with Philistine women. Forbidden. They were verboten. <laughs> they were verboten. And those he shouldn't have had communications with anyway. Why did he still do it? Well, let me offer you a couple of possible answers. Perhaps there was less resistance with the heathen women, with the women from other nations who didn't have God as their God. They were much looser in the sense of their morals. They had, no, they had a lack of morals. And Samson was a man who was governed by his desires, and so rather than pleasing the Lord. And remember what the Bible says about this period of time. What does it say in Judges 17, verse 16? In those days, there was no king in Israel. And here's the scary part. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And he repeats it again in chapter 21, verse 25, the exact same thing. The culture seemed as if it was a kind of, if it feels good, do it kind of culture. And by the way, we live in that culture, do we not? If it feels good, just do it. There's very little morals in our country today, folks, and you are the last stand. And when God removes us, when Jesus removes us from this earth, believe me, the hordes of hell are going to come in in a full force. It will be a tsunami like we've never seen before. And thank God we won't be here to see it. And hopefully that will stir us enough to go out and share the truth in love with those that we care about because they could be left behind. They could be left behind. What was another thing that perhaps the reason he did this? 
Perhaps it was a way he could quickly satisfy his lust with none or very little accountability. I mean, after all, this place was 30-plus miles away from his hometown. Nobody was supposed to go there. What a great place to go and be a chameleon and hide. No accountability. Even his mom and his dad wondered why he couldn't find just a good Jewish girl. What did they say in Judges 14? It says, and Samson went down to Timnah, and he saw a woman of, in Timnah, the daughters of the Philistines, and he went up and told his father, saying, I have seen a woman. I've inspected her. I've observed her for quite a long time till I'm ashamed. I've seen a woman in Timnah, the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. And then his mother and father, they say, is there not a woman among the daughters of your brethren or among my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? In other words, Samson, don't you understand? Even his mom and dad knew the law. They knew what they were supposed to do, but he's like, no, I must have her. And so the dad, he caves in. He just says, okay, son, I'll go and get her for you. I love what... Solomon said to his son when he wrote Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 24, it says this. One of the reasons the Proverbs are written, to keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with her eyelids. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Can a man take fire in his, to his bosom? And his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? The answer to the rhetorical question is no, you can't. You hold fire to your bosom, you're going to get burned. You walk on coals, you're going to get burned. And yet we see this same thing being played over and over again, not just with the young people, but unfortunately we see a lot of older people who should know better, even people in the church. Going out, looking, viewing. So verse 2, when the Gazites were told Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. And they were quiet all night, saying in the morning, when it is daylight, we will kill him. He had a bounty on his head because of what he had done in chapter 15. And we're not going to recap that for the sake of time, but Samson had this history with the Philistines. And he killed many of them. By this time, he's already killed at least 1,033, 1,032 Philistines. By now, his reputation has preceded him. He was a wanted man. Notice verse 3, and Samson lay low. The word low, notice, is not in the original language. That's why if in your Bible you'll see that it's italicized, which means it wasn't in the original scripture. And the translators put it there to make things uh, a little smoother for us, but literally what this could mean is, and Samson lay till midnight. And this word is the Hebrew word sakab, which means to, uh, to lie down for rest or sexual connection. And that's exactly what he was doing because he had this woman so from the moment he met her, he en they enjoyed each other until midnight, right? 
So Samson lay till midnight, and then he arose at midnight, and he took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gateposts and pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. You know, and it's, it's interesting, a, a gate to a city was a place where they would do business. It was a place of security. And most cities were, many of the cities were walled all the way around the city for protection from marauders and bands of uh, uh, those who had come against. But now Samson, in this bravado of his, he grabs the gate, he grabs everything, and he's got this great gift, and God comes upon him at different times, and he's able to lift these things, and he carries them off. And we, we don't know exactly how far he carried this gate, but tradition has it that he carried it to a hill known as El Montor, just east of Gaza. Some say that he carried it as far as 37 or 38 miles from Gaza. We don't really know. But uh, one has to wonder what he was thinking about when he was doing this. Was he boasting? Was he intimidating? Was he intimidating the Philistines even more? Uh, him and the Philistines, they had this relationship where they were always fighting each other. And Samson was continuing to play the game. He wasn't a humble man. He was rather boasting in his own strength and of his own prowess. So was he doing this to intimidate them again? I believe he was. Was he doing it to remove their security? Certainly, I'm sure. That would certainly get them uptight, wouldn't it? To remove their security. And what was he doing? 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Now, unfortunately, Samson's habits weren't all that good to begin with, were they? He wasn't a good, he wasn't a good example but he certainly wasn't improving himself by being around these Philistine women and certainly engaging in these kind of, these kind of games. Notice in verse 4, afterward, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And here we see this character now come on the scene, Delilah. And we don't know how long it was after he removed the gates uh, that, that this event occurred. It could have been uh, days. It could have been a couple weeks. We don't really know. But it's interesting, this word for loved. It says, afterward it happened that he loved a woman. Now, you and I know in context, knowing Samson, what he meant by loved. He loved a woman. He was with her. It's interesting that in the Greek, we have at least four different Greek words that, that has been translated love in English. When we say love, we know what it means in context. If I, love my, if I love my wife and I love my car or I love my daughter or I love um, uh, some food or something like that, I love strawberry briars ice cream, which I do, by the way, um, you know in context that those, those words that I'm using are different. You know the context of what I love. I love God. I love my wife. I love the ice cream. But in Greek, they actually spell them out. They divide them up. But in the Hebrew, there's only one word for love. And for some reason, God doesn't really, uh, he didn't concern himself with dividing it. It, it has a lot of different meanings. It, it, could be, it could mean your love for God. It could mean your love for your fellow man. It could mean a self-sacrificing, benevolent love. It could mean love in the sense of sexual love. It could mean all those things. And that's really what it means here. And we know in context, in his character, what this was all about. Afterward, it happened that he loved a woman in the Valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And it's interesting, this word is Ahava. Any of you ladies have Ahava products from the Dead Sea? That's what it means. Ahava means love in Hebrew. 
So there it is. Aren't you glad you came tonight? Uh, it says, and then notice it was in the Valley of Sorek. The Valley of Sorek was just to the west of uh, where Samson was born in Zora, uh, going toward the Mediterranean Sea on the western side of the Israel there, right on the border. There was a valley there, and that's where this occurred. Um, and so... Um, Verse 5, and the lords of the Philistines, they came up to her, and notice what they said to her. This sounds very familiar. If you read chapter 14 and you read this chapter, there's a lot of similarities because there's always somebody trying to entice Samson. And the lords of the Philistines came to her, to Delilah, and said, entice him and find out where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. And every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Do you have any idea how much money that is? We'll notice when we get into chapter 17 that one of these Levites from Bethlehem comes to a man named Micah and he gives him 20 shekels of silver a year. Or I think it was 10. 10 or 20. It doesn't really matter. It was a small amount. And now they're going to, each of them, each of the five Philistine lords are going to give her 1,100 pieces of silver. That's 5,500 pieces of silver. This woman's driving a Bugatti when she's done with this. And the lords of the Philistines came to her and said, entice him. This word literally means to delude him, to deceive him, to allure him, to flatter him, to persuade him. It was the same word that we saw in Judges chapter 14. Remember with and Samson's wife that he never consummated the marriage with, by the way. It's recorded for us in Judges 14 that, that it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, this is in uh, Judges 14. They said, entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us. And if you read Judges 14, you'll understand the context of that. So now, you know, uh, persuade him, delude him, allure him, deceive him. Do whatever you've got to do to get the answer that we want. And you know something? Whenever there is a person who is strong physically, perhaps they are good-looking, has great skills and abilities, and is boisterous and maybe even a little, little arrogant, that person usually becomes hated by others. And many times, these people don't live very long either. I knew of a man when I went, I went to college with. He was in the same department that I was in in, in uh, my undergraduate degree. He was a really good-looking guy. I mean, he really was. He was tall. And he was. He reminded me. Everything that Samson is, he reminds me of Samson. He was a ladies' man. All the ladies loved him. He was a good-looking guy. Not only that, but he was muscular. And guess what? He was a really good guitar player. He was a much better guitar player than I could have ever been. Just amazingly gifted. He was, a, he was uh, gifted in the martial arts. He was a taekwondo champion. Won many awards. Won many music uh, competitions. One of those guys you never want to go up against. And then he went off to Hollywood, and I remember him. At one point, we were friends, and, now, and then he went out to Hollywood, and, and he was very arrogant, very sure of himself, and did movies with Demi Moore and Harrison Ford. Then I just found out about a month ago, a month or two ago, that he, had, he died. He was a year younger than I was. He overdosed by accident, and he died. 
But he was one of those people like Samson, very gifted, and everybody just, they loved him and they hated him. Have you ever met somebody like that? <laughs> everything you do, they could do better, and they always did everything better. They were good looking, they could speak three languages, you know, they, they, they could fight, they could shoot, they could do everything that you maybe want to do. Maybe you don't want to do, but I do. But anyway, um, they could do all those things and much better, and much, much better. I mean, you were just like a, a kid in their sight. But Samson seemed to be like this larger-than-life figure. And they wanted to afflict him. They wanted to chasten him. They wanted to humble him. They wanted to hurt him. They wanted to weak him. And so, verse 6, So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. And what kind of weird thing was this? One would think that if she said this, and knowing what he knew about the Philistines, that he would have at this point nothing to do with her. He was already an enemy of the Philistines. Now, she's a Philistine woman, and she's saying, what can I do to bind and afflict you? Um, come again? Why do you want to do that? Oh, no particular reason. I thought maybe of feeding you ice cream. It'd be kind of fun, right? <laughs> kind of weird. He should have walked away from this, but he didn't. She must have been really cute. I'm sure she turned on all the charm. I'm sure she had all those features that Samson was just like his jaw was hitting the ground. He was drawing flies with his mouth wide open looking at this gal. And Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings not yet dried, then I will become weak and be like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings not yet dried, and she bound him with them. These bowstrings were literally animal intestines. They would take the, the, the intestines of a cattle or a sheep and they would dry them out and there's a process that they would go through and they would use them for bows on bows and arrows. They would use them, and in fact, in the Middle Ages, they used them for guitar strings. It was called cat gut, which they really think is cattle. Probably cattle gut is really what it was. But that's what it is. And, when it, and they're very strong, especially when they're not dried yet. Very strong. So they bound, they, they bound him with these fresh bowstrings, seven of them. Now, men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room, and this room must have been pretty big. There could have been lattices, there could have been uh, doors or areas where um, Samson couldn't see, and these men would just hide out in this big room, and they would just stay quiet behind the scenes, and they didn't even, Samson didn't even know they were there. So they bound him. Then Delilah said to, uh, the men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room, and she said to them, the Philistines are upon you, Samson, but he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire, and so the secret of his strength was not yet known. And then Delilah said to Samson, you've mocked me and you've told me lies. Now please tell me what you may be bound with. At this point, any sensible man would say, you know what, I just, I think I'm going to go to the drive through at Dairy Queen. I'm out of here. But no, and what kind of sick, perverted thing were they going, what was going on here? I can't help but wonder her seduction. And ladies, you know, you can have that power over a man. And maybe a man can have a power over a woman, although I doubt that. But women can certainly have that power over men. And you have to be very careful. Be very careful with what you have. Those persuasive, natural things, ladies, you have to be really careful so Delilah, you know, here she is. Look, you've mocked me and you've told me lies. Isn't she living a lie? 
She's living a lie, bigger than he is, just as big as he is. She's already in cahoots with the Philistines. She's going to get a big paycheck when this thing is over with. And she's saying, you've mocked me and you've told me lies. Isn't that the pot calling the kettle black? So he said to her, verse 11, If they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak like any other man. And therefore Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to, to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And men were lying in wait, staying in the room, but he broke them off his arms like a thread. And the idea behind this is that these guys would sit there quiet and they would not say a word until they realized that he was really stuck and he couldn't get out. They would wait a moment, and if he could break loose, they would remain quiet, and he would be none the wiser. They would wait until they knew that his goose was cooked, and then they would descend upon him. That was the idea behind this. And so verse 13, Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and you've told me lies. Tell me, with, tell me what you may be bound with. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom, and now you can almost, you know, seven is the, is the, the number of completion, the number of perfection. Very biblical term, very biblical number. And here, Samson, my seven locks. You know, isn't it funny how sometimes people can play religion? Got these seven locks. They mean something. I'm a Nazarite. Well, why didn't you walk like one, Samson? Why are you with an, a Philistine woman who's got eyeliner? It looks like a, she looks like a birthday cake, I'm sure. She has so much makeup on, she probably glowed in the dark. And here he is, just, wow. Just muscles on two feet. dum 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 But now... If you weave the seven locks on my head, his hair meant something, right? That was part of his Nazarite vow. So now he's getting a little closer to the truth, and she knows it, and she's just content, continually pestering him. She's enticing him. She's dripping like water, just like that water on his forehead. It's just eventually he's just going to cave. He's going to cave, and he did before, and he, now he's going to do it again. And so, um, you know, he had taken this Nazarite vow, you know, and, and basically that vow was, um, we heard about it in Judges 13 because it was something that the angel of the Lord told to Samson's mother and father. In verse 13, verse 5, it says, Behold, you shall bear a son, the angel said to his mother, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin, shall begin to deliver the people out of the hand of the Philistines. We don't have time to go there, but you might want to mark in your Bible right here, Numbers chapter 6. Look at the first 22 verses, because it goes into more detail about this Nazarite vow, how they were not to be around dead bodies. They weren't able to drink anything made of a grape at all. No raisins, no wine, no grape juice, nothing, nothing. No fruit roll up, nothing. And it wasn't really that the strength was really in his hair, but it was God's grace, wasn't it? But it was a symbol of God's favor upon his life. As long as he was obedient to that, God would bless him, and God would use him even in spite of him. And I, I think that's so wonderful about God, too, is he often uses us in spite of us. He uses us even when he knows there are areas that need improving. And it makes you wonder, was there a man in Israel at this time that God could have put his hand on and used? I would almost say there, there probably wasn't, or God would have. 
But he saw a man who could avenge the Philistines. He saw a man who could come, he could use and bring judgment upon the Philistines for their sin, not because God was a racist, but because of their sin. There's a big difference. But he took the gift of God for granted. Verse 14, so she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom. And this batten, this loom, and this, this thing that he was caught up now with his seven beautiful Goldilocks, um, that thing that he was wrapped up in, this is not some small little contraption. This is a very large, cumbersome device that now he's, he's all entangled with, okay? So this is not something that's just easy like bowstrings, you know, break out of him and he's all fine. No, this is something a little bit different, something a little bit different. Then she said to him again, and I can hear her pouting, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? I thought you loved me. Remember that time in Monaco when you told me you loved me? You've mocked me these three times, she said, and you've not told me where your great strength lies. And so she just keeps grating on him. She keeps pounding on him. She's pestering him. She's enticing him. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? Again, this word is ahava. We saw it in verse 4 above, and what a crazy thing again, again to say. She was manipulating him, and she would be a very wealthy woman when she succeeded. And there was no love between them. It was all lust. He certainly saw her, and the, the word gives it away, exactly how he saw her, how he studied her, how he observed her a little too closely. And, and she went for it too. He saw this hunk of a man, very gifted, very talented. There was no love here. She proves it by her deception. There was only lust. And what a difference there is, isn't there? Unfortunately, many today, and especially many young people, don't really know what love is. Remember many years ago, a gentleman who used to fellowship with us many years ago, Lou Graham from the rock group Foreigner, wrote a song, I Want to Know What Love Is. And certainly a man like him, especially before he got saved, traveling all around the world, women throwing themselves at him, he knew what love was and what it wasn't. You figure it out. The physical stuff is empty, if that's all it is. But real love is something more than just a feeling and a passion. It's a commitment. It is a decision, and it includes sacrifice. It includes sacrifice. Guys, after you're, you know, as, as you get older, there's two people who used to sit right there, actually. And they were um, um, Bunny and um, Rick Marini. They were each like 95, 96 years old, and they sat right here, and they were the cutest couple I've ever seen. They'd been married longer than I'd been alive. You could add like 15 years to my life, and they'd been married longer than that. That's how, I mean, they were finishing each other's sentence, chewing each other's food. I mean, it was crazy. You know, one would eat garlic, and the other one would have it on their breath. I mean, they were just, they were one. And he used to, they used to get up after church, and he would hold her hand. They both passed since then. We were both at their, had the privilege of doing their funerals, both of them. Such sweet people. What a great example after all those years, and it was a choice they made. It was a choice that Rick made to treat her like a queen to the very end. I miss him. You know, they were great folks. But notice verse 16. 
came to pass that she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. This word is distressed. She distressed him. She oppressed him. She put him in a strait. I mean, she was just, he was compressed. You get the idea. Why would he subject himself to this? Samson allowed himself to get into these places where he was manipulated. He was one of those guys, easily manipulated. Just took some time. At this point in Samson's career, and at this point in the chapter, Delilah, she must have really poured it on really hard, the charm and the seduction, because she knew her payday was coming. 5,500 shekels of silver. That's a lot of money. And she, verse 17, he told her finally, after she had pestered him, she told him all of his heart. And I imagine the weight off of his chest felt like he just, like, like, uh, like the Mount Everest had just gotten off of his chest. Every single day, every day, she pestered him, pestered him. He's like, oh, give me a break, give me a break. He pestered him day and day. Oh, finally, he tells her, he tells her, he said, no razor has ever come upon my head, for I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. Now he tells her the truth. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak like any other man. See how often he kind of puts himself on a pedestal? Like any other man. I'm not like any other man. <laughs> quite, the, quite the GQ kind of guy, yes. You see my picture on the, on the front of the, you know, the magazines. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart. She sent and she called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once more. I think I got him. For he has told me all of his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her, and notice they brought the money in their hand. They're so confident that this is going to be the time that they brought all the cash. They brought in the suitcases, each of them loaded. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees. Lullaby, little Samson. And called for a man and had him come and shave off the seven locks of his head. And then she began to torment him. And this, for some reason, when I read that phrase, it just brings chills down my spine. Because I know what it means. It mean, that when it says she tormented him, it means to chasten or humble or to weaken him, to hurt him. But just the way it's written in the scripture, it just sounds really ominous, doesn't it? As he's there, and I'm sure she's just running her hands through his hair, and he's just lulled to sleep after a long day of beating up Philistines. And he's tired and lonely, and she's rubbing his fingers through her hair, and he's just kind of like, oh, in a dream state. You know, still got ice cream in my stomach, and I just got... <laughs> then she began to torment him. And his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And so he awoke from his sleep, and he said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. It's a sad thing. It's a sad thing when we do not know when the Lord has left us. To be in a place where you don't know what the difference is between your own strength and God's strength. And to know it's usually at the end of your strength, that's when God's strength begins. That's why Paul could say, when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, I am strong. And Samson never learned that lesson. 
He was always strong. He was always the one calling the shots. He was the one that everybody looked up to. Everyone was afraid of. Everybody loved him, and yet they hated him. He had that kind of personality. Then the Philistines took him, verse 21, and they put out his eyes. They literally bored his eyes out. They plucked them out. They either plucked them out or they dug them out. He, was, he had no eyes. They took out his eyes. And it's interesting that this is the part of his body, the gateway to his character that got him into so much trouble. And that's the thing that he lost. He lost his eyes. The thing that had gotten him into all that trouble. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5? You've all heard this, beginning in verse 27. It says, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for... For you, that one of your members perish, then your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, was Jesus saying literally cut off, take out your eye and cut off your hand? I really don't think so. Because here's the problem. You can still pluck out an eye, but the heart hasn't changed. But he says, and you can, you can cut off your hand. If you're a thief and you keep thieving with your right hand because you write with your left hand because you were taught the right way. Uh, <laughs> I'm a lefty, by the way, and I'm still bitter about it. But anyway, uh, they cut off the hand. He can't, he can't steal anymore with his right hand. I always pick up the candy from 7-Eleven with my right hand. So now he can't thieve. And, and he says, well, just cut it off. Well, I'll kind of learn how to do it with my left hand then. If you get desperate enough, you'll figure it out. Don't we? We do. Whenever we're hemmed in, we find a way. We'll find a way to do it. So God wasn't speaking of physically doing it, but it needs to be that serious to us. It needs to be that serious to us because what does sin do left unchecked? A life of sin leads to ultimately, if not repented of, it does lead us where? To hell. And that is our choice that we make. It's not something that God says, I'm going to send you there. No, you've chosen it. God doesn't send anybody to hell. They make the decision all by themselves. And he gives them so much opportunity. He's such a God of grace. Aren't you glad you're here? If you're here tonight, that means that God got a hold of you. And I pray that you know him with all of your heart and that you'll serve him and, and, and know him and let him have every part of you. And because when he has every part of you, your life is going to be fruitful. It's going to be a blessing, not only to you, but to everyone around you. Your whole family is going to be blessed. The whole earth around you is going to be blessed. You are like the epicenter of righteousness. Isn't that cool? You are the epicenter of righteousness. You are a epicenter of righteousness. Because wherever you go, your light will shine so that people will see your works. They'll see your life. They'll see the way you talk. They'll see the way you walk. They'll see the things you do, the things that you don't do. They'll see that you've got a, you don't have a filthy mouth. They'll see that you're an honest person, that you're, you have integrity. And therefore, you will have, your light will so shine that when they see that, they will glorify who? You? No, they'll glorify your Father, which is in heaven. So it's not enough to cut off the hand. The heart has to change. But we need to take it that seriously as if we were going to do something that drastic. But most people don't take it drastic, a drastic uh, 
stance against sin. A lot of times people will think, well, I've been doing this for years and God hasn't really chastened me. Well, he's been giving you a lot of rope to hang yourself. That's what happens. And I know this to be true for my own self. He get, and, and here's the thing. Wouldn't it be nice if we all had the same amount of rope? And when I say that, I mean, there comes a point where God judges, okay? He chastens those who he loves, right? But even the ungodly, he will judge them. He will allow them. And even for Christians, if we're not careful, God will chasten us. It doesn't mean that you're not saved. If you're, you know, we're all sinners, right? But we ought to be sinning less as we walk with Christ. But when we, if we don't, if we continue in a sin, we all have different lengths of rope, and we don't know how long those are. Sometimes God will allow a man or a woman to be in adultery for decades, and then all of a sudden, he allows them to be exposed, and their marriage, their family is destroyed. Even their jobs destroyed. And other people, it's the first time. Bam. And you're like, wow, I only got like three centimeters of rope. And you gave that guy like enough rope to go to the moon and the earth. It's like that. We can't question that. That's God's doing. He knows us. He knows what we need. And he's a good God. Amen. I love that about God. Never forget that God is a good God. But then, verse 21, it says, Notice that they bound him with bronze fetters. They had bronze chains, and he became a grinder in the prison. And the idea of this is, um, this is before the animals did it. They would actually attach a harness to him, and they would have like a little mill, a smaller mill, and they would put the grain in this thing, and then he would walk around in circles and grind and, and grind the grain into fine powder, and they would use that for cooking and other, re- other resources, other things. But that's what he was doing. And you know what's even more demeaning about this? Is that this kind of vocation was designed for concubines, for women. And now Samson is the one doing that. It was designed for women to do this task. Sorry, ladies, but back in that culture, women worked really hard. You look at Proverbs 31, and you're like, wow, those women were amazing. You better believe it. Boy, those ladies were something. And unfortunately, the men should have been following suit, but hopefully they were um, doing better things. But notice, he was there, and he was attached to the mill, and he would grind out grain. However, verse 22, the hair of his head began to grow after it had been shaven. And here's a little hope. So now, verse 23, now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a sacrifice to Dagon, their god. He was a Philistine god. He was half, the statue or the image of Dagon was half fish and half man. So they gathered together to offer a sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. Notice the lords of the Philistines, these five lords and all of their uh, their state and all of their cabinet and all these people around. And they said, our God, our God, Dagon, he has delivered him, Samson, into our hands, our hands, Samson, our enemy. And this was just plain ignorance because ultimately a God allowed Samson to be found out. He allowed Samson to be caught. Their God, Dagon, had nothing to do with it. See, nothing happens to you, child of God, that God doesn't, it doesn't go through, it goes to his throne first. You ever read the first couple chapters of Job? Read it tonight and you'll see. Nothing happens to you. Nothing even God allows unless it goes past his throne and he knows the end. And he will say to Satan, you know, this is what he did to Job. Satan, you want to do that? Hmm. And God knew, I'll let you do 
only that much away with you. And Satan is like a salivating dog. You mean I can destroy his kids? I can destroy his house? I can do all that? Yeah, go for it. Do it. And he does. And finally comes back again. Ah, let me do a little bit more. Let me strike his health and then he'll curse you. And God says, okay, try it. See, the unfair advantage that God has is omniscience. It's a characteristic that he alone has. The devil does not have omniscience. The devil is not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. He's a created being, by the way. And he's not omnipresent, certainly. But God knows. He knew Job's heart. He knew Job wouldn't curse him. And God also knew the end of it all, that he was going to bless Job with twice as much as he ever had before. And Job was a blessed man, and he knew God now. He really knew him. So verse 24, when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has delivered him into our hands, our enemy, the destroyer of our land. You, you'll read about that in, uh, in, chapter, um, in chapter 15, where he ties foxes' tails together and, and, and attaches a, 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 a torch, and they go through the fields. And this is one of the things that got the Philistines all upset with them. And so they... Um, so he was a destroyer of our land and the one who multiplied our dead. And in fact, the Bible tells us, he gives a, he, they catalog for us, the word of God does, the, those that Samson killed. Thirty men of Ashkelon, it records that for us in Judges 14, verse 19. Another thousand men at Lehi, and that's in Judges chapter 15, verses 15 through 17. And finally, we're going to see in just a few moments, 3,000 men and women here in the 27th and the 30th chapter of what we're coming upon in just a few moments. So the total that he killed when he finally checked out was 4,030 that we know of. Verse 25, so it happened when their hearts were merry. They were offering the sacrifice to their Dagon. Then it became just a big party. There's no holiness there, right? Because any God other than God the Father, any God other than Jehovah God, the one who created all things, the one who said in the beginning, let there be light, and there was light. Is there anybody who can do that? I don't think so. Is there anybody who can say, let there be fish teeming, and all all creatures teeming in the oceans, and just his, his genius of creative power goes at work, and he's able to create them, not only in all of their intricacies, but that they can live together in harmony, and they all have a, a system, and they all, everything is gelling. Everything's just fine. He does all that. <laughs> so it happened when they were married that they called for Samson that he may perform for us. This, this word literally means they, they wanted him to perform. They were going to mock him. They were going to laugh at him. They were going to chide him. They were going to jest at him, and often with music. Get out the guitars. Let's sing and dance while we watch Samson perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them, and they stationed him between the pillars. Samson was entertainment. He was a sideshow. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, notice he had to be led. Why? Because he doesn't have two eyes. He's blind. He says, let me feel the pillars which support the temple. The temples in the, 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 the Philistine temples were long. They were long this way. And there were two pillars in the middle 
that would sustain some other things on the sides. But there are two pillars in the middle, and he positioned himself between those two pillars. And the idea is that he could lean on them. And so, now the temple was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women, on the roof watching while Samson performed. So they are all up around the edges, and they're looking down upon this spectacle. And now he tells this young boy to just, just lean me up there, because I imagine after he's been performing for them for a while, he's kind of tired. He's like, just lean me up against these things. I can get some rest. And while he's there, he's praying in his, in his heart and his mind. He's saying, Lord, just this once. Do it one more time. I'm going to allow myself to go out, but I'm going to take these 3,000 with me. Now, you might think to yourself, well, that sounds kind of cruel. But I, God was using Samson in spite of him. And Samson was bringing judgment upon the Philistines. Isn't that, isn't that interesting how God can do that? How can God bring Nebuchadnezzar... At the time when he was coming against Jerusalem, he was so full of himself. He was a pagan idolater, and yet God would use that idolatrous man to bring judgment against his own people. Why would he do that? Why would God use Samson to bring down enemies? Same, same principle here. God can use anybody to bring judgment upon whether it's, whether it's family or foe. When God chastens us as believers, it's not to destroy us. It's to chasten us, right? There's instruction involved. It's like, son, don't do that. I've told you before, don't do that. Why are you doing that? I told you, don't do that. Why are you doing it? Now the temple was full of women. I read that. Verse 28 says, Then Samson called to the Lord, and he says, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once. O God, that I may be with one blow, take vengeance on the Philistines from my two eyes. This is one of the, one of the few times that, act, that Samson actually prayed. It was at the very end of his life, the very last few moments of his life on the earth. One of the few times that he prayed. There may be one other time recorded that he, and I think it's in chapter... Uh, uh, 14 and verse 6 or something like that verse in chapter 14 where he actually prays to God but other than that it was, it was you know he never there's no, no, no record of him praying at all because was he a, a, a dynamic spiritual man no he wasn't he was he was a man governed by his passions did God use him in spite of himself absolutely God is a God of grace so Verse 29, and Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, and one on his right hand and one on his left. And he, he said, Lord, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell, and the lords and all the people who were in it. And so the dead that he killed at his death were more than that he killed in his life. And it's true, because we know that he died. He killed about 1,030 before his death, and in his death he killed 3,000. In verse 31, and his brothers and his father's household came down and they took him and they brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol. This is uh, the, the, uh, a town where he was born. 
uh, and then the town next to it, right somewhere in the middle is where they buried him in the tomb of his father Manoah, and he had judged Israel 20 years. You know, when you think about this, as we, as we finish this chapter here, what an unfortunate way for Samson to end. How much greater could have God used him if he was obedient? How much more could God have used him if he surrendered his life to Christ? I love what it says in Romans chapter 11, verse 29. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable, meaning they're without repentance. It literally means, for for not repented of are the grace, gifts, and the calling of God. That means even if God gives you a gift, he doesn't take that gift just because you're a bad boy. That's the mystery of God. Because Samson had some really incredible gifts, and God came upon him by his spirit at different times to accomplish purposes of God. And yet, was he a shining example? No, he was not. Is he a man that we should model after men? Some things, maybe, but very few. There's not a whole lot mentioned here that is really great. And yet, he shows up in Hebrews 11. He had enough faith to get the job done. Don't let what God has gifted you with be used for selfish or devilish means. And this is so important for young people because you may be gifted in music. Or maybe as an adult, you may be gifted in something. You may be a gifted musician. You may be a gifted in acting. You may be a sports hero. You may have some gift or talent in other vocations. But what are, you, are you serving the Lord with those things? Or are you selling out and, and, and giving it over to the enemy and giving glory not giving glory to God, and doing it just for money. You know, I look of like Whitney Houston. Whitney Houston was in church. That's where she learned to sing. She was an amazing vocalist. Good grief, the woman had a set of pipes. She could sing. Then she meets Bobby Brown. And I don't know if it was only his influence, but then she starts to take drugs. One thing leads to another. Years go by, and the next thing you know, she's done. What about these people, these superstars today, Britney Spears? What about Taylor Swift? What about all these musicians and music, you know, that are out there, very gifted? What about Lady Gaga? You know, she's a Jew. Do you know that? She's actually a trained concert classical pianist. She can play jazz. She can sing. She can act gifted young lady. And what is she doing with her life? Selling it to the world. Selling herself. Pray for her. Pray for those others that I mentioned. Because God gave them a talent and he doesn't, get, he doesn't take away that gift. He gave them the grace to sing like a bird. They should be in church. They should be giving glory to him. <laughs> but the devil always has his, doesn't he? There's been a saying, why does the devil always have the good music? Well, he doesn't. Maybe on this earth, but there's coming a day, folks, when we're going to stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and we will sing unlike we've ever sung before. We're going to have a set of pipes on each of us that aren't going to be restricted by our, our, our uh, lack of ability. But don't give in to sensuality and especially engage in it to promote yourself or to get further ahead. 
You know, that's a lesson we can learn from Samson. And certainly, men, just be really careful. Don't be led by your eyes. Ladies, be careful about how you manipulate because you have that ability. Women know how to do that to a man. It's not fair. <laughs> it's not fair for a man to do those things to a woman. It's not fair for a, an attractive woman to do that to a man. It's unfair. It's, it's, uh, it's against the rules. should be. But let's be people of integrity, amen? Let's be people who love the Lord. Let's be people who listen to his word and want to do it, amen? Let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. And Lord, we pray that we would uh, learn much from the life of Samson. Lord, that we would consider those things that we have read over the last several weeks, and that we would uh, appropriate them into our own life, God, and help us not to look at, at these things as, as lessons for someone else, but for us, for me, Lord, for us together in this place tonight. And for those online, may you encourage them. Lord, help us. We love you, Lord, and we're so thankful that you love us more than we could possibly understand, and that your love never fails. That, Lord, you're always seeking us. You're always loving us. So, Lord, have your way with us and send us on our way tonight and bless our day tomorrow. Lord, keep us all healthy. Keep us safe, God. And help us not to live in fear. Help us to live in your grace and live in simplicity in the Holy Ghost. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.